I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jesus. Kind of like a Vincent Price. Scary movie. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. It started out with John Malkovich, but he turned it down because he thought it was sick. So they offered John Lithgow, but he turned it down too. So the role of Seth Brundle went to Jeff Goldblum. We're talking the fly, the cinema possessed. It's body horror to the most excess. Davis auditioned while she was dating Goldblum. David Cronenberg was nervous, but when he saw her, he knew <laughs> that she'd be good in the fly. The chemistry is authentic, and the effects by Chris Wallace are disgustingly splendid. Talking the fly on cinema possessed. Some might imply that it's Cronenberg's best. Yeah! Oh my! We're talking Cronenberg's fly. Beautiful. Cinema, 
Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nisham. And each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be dissolved like a vomit-covered donut. Favorite donut. Go. Boston cream. Core? Um. Wow. Uh. You gotta you have know? this in your back pocket. Right off the top of your head. <laughs> you I mean, gotta I have like it ready. So many salted, uh, That's salted not a caramel thing. top. Nope. What? Um, not a donut. Come on, think classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh! The apple fritter. Apple fritter. Okay, yeah. Barely a donut. <laughs> <laughs> Jelly donut for me, all the way, all the time. I like it filled raspberry. It's good that classic glaze on top mm-hmm. honestly a glaze too is like close second just a classic glaze close easy second. second for me is dunkin donuts strawberry frosting mm. oh. not sure i've ever had that it's specific. like the classic homer simpson donut you know like uh-huh. it's just dough yeah and pink Mm-hmm. Icing on top. Yeah, I'm more of a. Are you a? Are you a Krispy Kreme? No. Yeah, I'm. I overrated. like them. I like them, yeah. but I agree they're overrated. It's not the kind of donut. It's that the Chick Fil A of donuts. Yeah, it's. I mean, I appreciate that it's like kind of special. Like it's got its own thing. When but that when I'm first came donut, to Little Rock, it was we were in high school, and it was like people huge. left school lines yeah, out the same. door because they would Chicago. give you one donut for free. Mm-hmm. Like they still do that. Yeah, you if, walk in and they just hand you donuts. <laughs> they're not a bad donut option if they if they're you know around. Oh but. my god, nothing beats in in my in the suburbs of Chicago. We had little small towns that would put on uh, like Oktoberfest kind of things, mm-hmm. but they were like strawberry fest or apple cider fest. And you would go to these like quaint little towns and there was always somebody frying donuts Uh. and you can watch the donuts come down on like a conveyor belt and drop into the oil. And so they had these apple cider donuts that were that sounds like my I have dream had a good apple true. cider donut before, and they are good. When I was little, um, there's pictures of this too. It was like a small town state fair type thing, and they had a donut eating contest that you couldn't use your hands. Like one was like you had to like bite it off a string, and then another. And my dad entered me, and I won. And my mom was Whoa. always like, it like haunts my mom that my dad entered me into this contest. And you had to eat it without your hands. Yeah, and I fucking whooped everybody. If it's probably where like that ever got on the internet. <laughs> there's pictures. Really? Yeah. There's pictures of me eating it off a string. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, in um, some physical media news, this is a little bit more of like a heads up to y'all. Criterion has a spring sale going on until the end of May. Thirty percent off all DVDs, Blu-rays. Go out there and get you one. Go get you, you know. <laughs> Uh, Salo, 120 Days of Sodom. Go out there and get yourself uh, a little bit of wild strawberries, you know? Get some of the classics while they're 30% off, y'all. Also, you know, I don't know who's going to care about this, but Arrow Video is releasing Michael Mann's Black Hat on 4K with a new unseen director's cut that Michael Mann has been pushing for for years. Mm, does it fix the movie? According to him, it does. Because according to Michael Mann, he's always thought the theatrical release was a travesty. I don't know exactly what the backstory was in terms of why it's not the vision that he imagined. But this Arrow 4K release will have unseen footage and it's just, I think, generally recut to be what he intended. So if you're a Michael Mann fan, um, Justin? 
Oh, a little clue. Tell the people what movie we're talking about today. David Cronenberg's The Fly, 1986. There is a limit even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? What does the disease want? It wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly. Oh, I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Help me. And before I forget to mention, the uh, third being in the telepod with us today is Miss Corey Clifford. Say hello. Hello. And um, a question for the both of you. What was your relationship to The Fly? Do y'all remember when you first saw it? Any sort of past experiences with this film? <sighs> you guys, you know. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Did this play on TV? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So I definitely like I was familiar with it. I, and then I've definitely watched it with you before, mm -hmm. um, but I feel like watching it this time was the first time I was like really, really paying attention. Oh, okay. You'd never paid attention much before. <laughs> I mean, you just sort of let I it think wash I just over have you. a bad memory maybe too. I, yeah. So it was kind of like mean, seeing it for the first time it felt like? No, because I knew yeah. things. I was like, oh, this is where this part's about to happen. Like, I could remember things happening, but it was almost as if it was like in a dream. Yeah. Justin, how about you? Nothing special. Uh, TV, TV viewings, and then after post-college post yeah. viewings, but definitely became obsessed with it in, in mm -hmm. after film school. Yeah. I saw it on TV, too. It was on uh, Mon Monster Vision on TNT with Joe Bob mm. Briggs. It was definitely the my introduction to The Fly. Did y'all ever watch Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs? Never. Oh, you missed yeah. out because he was it was like Elvira and that he was introducing the movies and he would come in on the commercial breaks. But he was such a champion for horror movies that he would give you tons of trivia and context and theory as you're watching the movie. And um, and he's just a really funny guy, especially to a kid. He made it more palatable because I was always really scared watching Monster Vision. Is he from Arkansas? I think he's from Texas. Hmm. But yeah, he's a Southern boy. Uh, and he's still, you know, they still have the Joe Bob Briggs uh, drive-in theater on Shudder, uh, mm. occasionally at least. I remember being pretty shocked by the movie, seeing it even on TV, uh, just grossed out by it. It's a very gross movie. Um, it's the, so gross. The donut puke in particular was very, very gross to me. And I even remember Joe Bob Briggs saying like, I'll never eat a donut again. <laughs> and I think he even mentioned specifically mm -hmm. Boston cream. Um, oh, I wish we had donuts right God, now. God, me too. Oh, uh, that would have been a good idea. Anything. That would have been a good <laughs> I mean, idea. We can order donuts yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, put it in. Put it in the Postmates order. Uh, what did you watch this movie on? <laughs> I messed up bad. <laughs> I messed up bad. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find it. Oh, you couldn't find a copy. I had it on Blu-ray, 100%. Uh -huh. I went uh -huh. to eBay, kind of like you with Clueless, maybe. I went yep. to eBay, yeah, checked yeah. my sale history, not there. 
So the only thing I could think of is if another fucking lending situation oh. where I, I let somebody borrow it and I couldn't think of who had it. So I had to fucking watch it on HBO. I'm sorry, on Max. On Max. <laughs> it's not HBO it Max, Max anymore. It's just called Max It's just now? called Max. They Ugh. lose the HBO. It's cleaner. It's so stupid. The, the decisions Ugh. these suits make is so alien. You're you're gonna take literally the most iconic part of the, of the sentence name. out and put in the least iconic, most vague word you possibly. Well, and when I hear Max, I think of Cinemax, which I then think of Skinemax. I just think of like poor quality softcore porno. <laughs> <laughs> Such fucking idiots. Yeah. So it, it was an HD uh, 5.1 surround sound. Yeah. Uh, uh, 1920 by 1080p. Mm -hmm. uh, streaming through my Apple TV box, HBO Max. <sighs> Fuck, Max. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. You know it's what? Like Just the, call it what you want. Fuck it's them. like the Sears Tower. You know, if who, we keep calling all my, it. All my Chicago brothers and sisters out there, you know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. It's the Sears fucking tower. What did they change it to? Willis? John Hancock? Willis. The oh, Willis Tower. John Hancock is its own. <laughs> Hancock building is a different building. <laughs> well, that's like also in to all my Los Angeles brothers and sisters, the Staples Center is called like crypto now. Oh yeah, yeah. crypto.com stadium. Yeah. What a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, let's let's name it after a currency that won't survive the next two years. <laughs> yeah. Um well I am sort of ashamed to say I do own this. But technically, I don't own this. So I went to go pull out my oh, yeah. my DVD, and I thought, hmm, something's kind of strange about this cover. <laughs> it is the cover of the DVD, but you can see scan lines, uh -oh. very clear scan lines on it. And I open up the case, and I see that the two double disc inside are DVD-Rs. I think the statute of limitations is probably up, so I can probably <laughs> mm -hmm. admit this in public. But um, yeah, yeah, that's how it works. I only murdered somebody <laughs> 10 years ago. I mean, But yeah, this Fly DVD that I have, two disc, all the bonus features, all the commentary, it's all on there, but it is it has been ripped. I don't condone this, folks. I think you need to buy it. Yeah, Literally on the trailer for this movie, yes. when you start it, is like, Steal the uh, what the, is it? the commercial Pirate that's like you wouldn't steal stealing. a car, would you? Yeah, you that's wouldn't steal a this. handbag. Wow. It's the first thing that pops up mm -hmm. when I pop in this burned DVD. But I have to say, I expected this to kind of look like shit because of it. This looks great. I mean, this looked like. Did you have any issues with the quality no, of the way this movie looked? I thought it looked perfect. I technically wouldn't want to upgrade my copy because I think this is as good as it gets. But legally you have to. But maybe yeah, legally I should. Yeah, I think I the should. whole purpose of this podcast. Morally I should. Yeah, yeah. we can't have a physical media podcast. And be, yeah. But this also comes with a couple of documentaries. Were you able to watch any any DVD bonus feature stuff? Just on YouTube. Did you watch the Fear of the Flesh documentary? Yeah, with the cat monkey. With the cat monkey and everything. So this is a David Pryor making of. Do you, do you know who David Pryor is? Mm -mm. David Pryor got his start doing behind the scenes DVD making ofs that are all really good. He did this one for The Fly. He did all of David Fincher's. So like pretty much from from the game to seven to to all the way up to like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Every time you buy a DVD or a Blu-ray, he was like Fincher's behind the scene making of guy. It's because he makes really good uh, behind the scenes documentaries. And even with this fly one, you can see like there's artistry in it. There's there's humor in the way he's cutting these things. It's very 
uh, extensive. You get a lot of information, but it's like kind of like watching a real documentary. It doesn't just feel like bonus crap. Mm. But then David Pryor went on to start directing films of his own, and he made a movie a few years ago that got a lot of praise called The Empty Man. Did you ever see The Empty Man? No. Pretty good. Pretty good little uh, independent horror film. Uh, he definitely has a very finchery style. And then he went on to do an episode of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities recently. And now he has a new movie uh, coming in, you know, I, I can't remember who's attached to it, but he's got another movie. So he's like kind of an up and coming director, but he's been around for a long time doing making of DVDs. That's kind of cool. And I'll say... This movie is like a tight 95 minutes. I love that. This is a mm-hmm. good runtime. Little backstory, Fly. This is a remake. There was a 1958 film starring Vincent Price. Have you seen that one? Long time ago. It's 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 more of a head swap movie. Yeah. It's not this would the, the new take on this one is that it's a slow Body metamorphosis, yeah. but it, I had no interest to revisit it. It's a little silly. I mean, yeah. you, and you get a lot of glimpses of it in the uh, Fear of the Flesh documentary. Um, but The Fly started as a short story written by George Langelin, who was a, a, a French-British journalist. It was first published in Playboy magazine. And uh, interesting thing about this guy, George Langelin was um, a World War II intelligence officer who got uh, captured by the Nazis at one point and escaped from them. And he went into like a witness protection. He got his identity changed, but he he knew that they knew what he looked like. So he actually got facial reconstructive surgery to change the way his face looked so that the Nazis couldn't recognize him. And that in part inspired him to write The Fly. He wanted to write a story about the way you uh, you can't always trust the flesh. Mm. In front of you. That's my worst nightmare. Have it cha- literally changing <laughs> your face to yeah. avoid somebody from that's how desperate you are. Yeah. Oof. I know. That's well, it's like dark. something you hear in an old noir film or something. Like, yeah, it's well, not imagine like looking do. at yourself yeah. in the mirror and not recognizing yourself. Oh, I think what he did, it sound, I kind of looked into it, and rather than like a full retransformation, is like he had a couple of really defining features. Like he had really big ears. Mm-hmm. So he got like his ears pulled back and like he went in and just took all the sort of exaggerated features and kind of smoothed them out so that they couldn't be like big ears. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That kind he of used thing. like a clone stamp tool or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you also have to remember this. This is World War II. This is before we're not in nip tuck good plastic surgery days. This is kind of primitive plastic surgery days. So mm-hmm. pretty risky stuff and probably hard to deal with, sir. Stop it. So this film was adapted by Charles Edward Pogue, who uh, who wrote this original script for this 1986 version of The Fly. The script ended up landing in the hands of Mel Brooks. Yes, the comedy director, Mel Brooks, who did Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein. Mel Brooks in the 80s was actually a real champion for young, independent voices in genre. He uh, most notably helped David Lynch make The Elephant Man. He saw Eraserhead. He was such a fan of it that he was like, I want to help you make a movie. And so much so that he would produce these movies, but he wouldn't put his name on it because he didn't want people to mistake these movies for comedies. And so he wouldn't actually give himself mm-hmm. a credit, but they were all made through Brooks Films. He had a secret. Yeah. He got a hold of the script by Charles Pogue. He liked it, but he wanted to bring on a real visionary. His first choice was David Cronenberg. But at the time, did you see this? David Cronenberg was set to direct Total Recall. Whoa. Uh, So this is well before Paul Verhoeven Mm -hmm. got involved with that. And so David Cronenberg was like, I'm doing Total Recall. I can't do it. So then they had to go to this other director, Robert Bierman, 
who had only done a couple of short films at the time. He would later on go on to do uh, Vampire's Kiss. The reason why he ended up dropping out of The Fly was that his daughter tragically died in a vacation accident. And uh, Mel Brooks apparently was very, um, like, gave him time. You know, he gave him a couple months and he came back after three months and the guy was like, it's just too dark of a story. And I'm going through too dark of a thing. I just don't think I can. And so Mel Brooks is like, I totally get it. And at that point in time, Cronenberg was having all these troubles with Total Recall and, and Dino De Laurentiis that he quit Total Recall. So suddenly Cronenberg was free again. Mm. And so they were like, well, sweet, you're our first choice anyways. They sent him the script. He liked it, but he said, I want to do my own rewrite on it. And I want to shoot in Canada. And I want to use the crew that I use on all my movies. Because at this point, he had done Scanners. He had done Videodrome, Rabid, The Dead Zone. He shot all these movies in Canada with the same crew. Cinematographer, same editor, same production designer, everything. Dead Zone, also alternate title for Canada. (laughs) (laughs) We always had great experiences with the Canadian people. I know. I'm kidding. They ended up casting Jeff Goldblum first, but they did go out to John Malkovich first. He thought it was gross. They went out to John Lithgow. He also thought it was it's a little grotesque. Interesting that John Malkovich thought it was gross. It feels like I could totally have seen John Malkovich in this role. According to Cronenberg, they were all a little, he, he thinks they were all afraid of the makeup aspect of it. They didn't, mm. they were all intimidated by having to, to wear all that rubber and mm-hmm. having to act through it. And so that was the big thing. And Jeff Goldblum hadn't really done much at this point. The big, uh, the big chill. Mm-hmm. Um, Transylvania 6 5000 which is where he met Gina Davis mm-hmm. and they fell in love so they were already together when they did this movie yes they I were didn't realize that it's um it sometimes sucks revisiting these movies and not being able to really put yourself in the shoes of uh what it would be like to not know that much about Jeff Goldblum you know mm-hmm. you're watching the movie now with with fresh Goldblum eyes <laughs> yeah knowing everything that he's done a little bit more about who he is it would be cool to see that movie where he's kind of a little bit more of a fresh fresh yeah. star, not the name that he is today. The studio didn't want him. They they actually like cool. fundamentally disagreed with the choice of casting him as the lead, but they believed in David Cronenberg enough and they believed in Mel Brooks and they said, if you guys like him, we're going to let you make the movie with him, but we have to let it be known that we think it's a huge mistake to cast Jeff Goldblum as this lead but it didn't phase him they did it and obviously jeff goldblum is fucking amazing in this movie i mean this yeah. is a star making turn for him do you it's almost as if studios i hesitate to even say this because it sounds so absurd but it's it's almost as if studios don't know what the fuck they're talking about <laughs> i think you've taken it too far i'm yeah they I, they know everything can you edit that part out i don't want to sound they're never wrong i don't want to sound stupid this is maybe like the you know? one time they were wrong yeah um and so then they had to cast the part of uh, Veronica, Ronnie, and Jeff Goldblum recommended Gina Davis, who was his then girlfriend. And Cronenberg himself was like, I don't know. Like, that doesn't seem like a great idea to cast a real couple in this part, because what if they break up? What, you know, like they weren't married. They were just dating. There was a lot of press about them dating. They're both eccentric personalities. And so he was hesitant, but he said that uh, they brought her in to do an audition and Cronenberg said the second he saw her read, he was like, I knew she was the perfect fit for the role. The producers asked him to see more ladies for the part. They did, but everybody agreed that nobody even came close to what Gina Davis Are we allowed did. to say she's gorgeous? Stunning. Oh, my God. It's crazy. It's maybe the most beautiful any person has ever looked on film. She looks like a painting. Like, she's so beautiful. Her jawline... It- 
I, I, I have no words. Skin. There's not a blemish, not a pore. So yeah, you can I, say it. I love her. <laughs> you can say you can say it proud. She's amazing, and she's honestly she's amazing in everything. She's such a fun, spunky personality, and she's really adaptable to a lot of different roles. She's a treasure. They would later marry after this movie. They mar- got married in 1987, and then they got divorced in 1990. So it was a it was a short lived little fling. But obviously, Wait, they got married. They got married in 1987 after this film, and divorced 1990. God, but Quitters. and then she she went on to 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 remarry with uh, Rennie Harland, who was a big, oh. big director. Did Cliffhanger? He did Die Hard two, and then he put her in almost all of his movies while they were married. Long Kiss Goodnight, Dead Husband, Cutthroat Island. But then they got divorced. I think like ninety five, something like that. Ninety six. Yeah, hot take here. This might be my favorite horror movie of the nineteen eighties. Okay. A lot of really good contenders in there. The Thing is a classic. It's an incredible mm-hmm. film. But to me, this takes The Thing because I think the effects are just as good. The Thing actually might have slightly better effects and just in terms of its scope and its ambition. The but Thing this, is, what, is Kurt Russell? Mm-hmm. Okay. But what this movie has over The Thing is two things. One. Great performance. Love story. I think in general, this has more story. You know, this has more heart, this has more emotion, more themes, more layers. I think the thing is brilliant and has plenty of themes and plenty of heart and and the performances are great, but it's simpler. And this is a little bit more complex and rooted in emotion in a way that the thing is not. I'm going to disagree with you on the horror aspect, though, because I just think to me, objectively, the thing is way more terrifying than the fly. I wasn't I wasn't. I would agree with okay. that. It, this is it's way grosser. The fly is like mm-hmm. got body horror more, but the thing or I'm sorry, the fly oh, the does. The thing has body horror yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. The but thing not, has some extreme body but horror. But I don't feel like not as gross as this. To me, the one up on this one is that this movie ends on such an emotional climax that yeah. the thing doesn't even come close to happening. Of course, there's very little emotion. And to me, that that's what puts it a one-up. And the other thing is, I think the music in this movie is so special, and the music in the thing is kind of forgettable, even though it's but Ennio Morricone. I can't, I can't, I, I just think the special effects in the thing are... Yeah, they, that's what makes it special. <sighs> Yeah, it's true. It, I'm not saying it's unsettling. It's unsettling in in a different I, I way agree. than the than the fly. I'm just let's saying, not compare them. I'm let's, not comparing. I'm just yeah. saying. I think if I had to say what my favorite horror movie of the 1980s is, I kind of realized it in this rewatch that I'm like, I think this might be my favorite mm-hmm. horror movie of the 1980s, and I think it maybe gets a little forgotten because the thing is talked about a lot. Yeah, the fly. I think everybody knows about, but people honestly, you know what I mean. I think because it showed on TV so much, people don't give it the credit it deserves. It's a really special movie. I agree. I'm surprised that it doesn't come up more in conversation. It's profoundly sad. That's the thing I think that I love so much that I kind of forget. And every time I watch it, I'm like, this is really working well as like a real movie. It goes beyond just being a scary movie or a gross movie. Like it's a real love story. Yeah. I love a good protagonist becomes the antagonist Mm -hmm. story. And you really sympathize. You feel bad Mm -hmm. for him. And you feel really bad for Gina Davis. Cronenberg in the commentary, he made a good point how this is an example of how horror can make really unpalatable material palatable for audiences. Because he said, at its heart, this is a movie that is basically about two people who fall in love, and one of them contracts a disease that causes them to waste away, and the other one has to basically watch it happen, and in the end, they sort of assist in their suicide. And he said, you could tell the same story as a drama, 
about somebody who gets a terminal illness or who gets mm. cancer, and audiences would not want to watch it because it would be too hard for them to swallow. But if you kind of wrap it in this fantasy burrito, people will eat it right up. That's the perfect case for horror in general. It's a way for us to tell hard-hitting, deep stories in a way that people can swallow. That's my biggest problem with audiences. They're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, you it and just, I, we, we want to see the cancer movie, yes, too. Yes, it just sucks that the movies that you and I can watch are shaped by the whims of focus groups in the Midwest. Well, like, uh, that's, a, that's the, I think, the negative way of looking at it. Because I don't I think David Cronenberg loves that he gets to turn this into a genre movie. He loves that he gets to play in the gross out. And we love it, too. It's not like it's he only does it because audiences can't handle it the other yeah, way. Yeah, but we want to, we, like you said, we want to see the cancer movie. That's true. You know? But that's the beauty of genre, is it allows you to tell stories in a different way. You can still talk about the same themes and deal with the same fears and issues. Is there a movie where someone pulls the plug? Oh my God. I mean, have you ever seen Million Dollar Baby? Ooh. I don't know. I don't think I have. That's what the whole third act of that movie becomes about. And by the way, this is a really sappy Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, so it's not, not it's not going to like satisfy you the way you think it's mm -hmm. going to. But that's what the movie becomes about. Yeah. A lot of people at the time interpreted this as an AIDS metaphor, which I totally get. Cronenberg claims he was not thinking about AIDS at the time of writing it. He was mostly thinking about cancer or even just general the general aging process he just wanted to kind of write a movie about how we do all in one way or another deteriorate and the fear of that but i i understand why people would would especially at the time that this is made in the mid 80s the aids crisis was really at the forefront of people's minds and so uh I can see the parallels too. There's clearly addiction metaphors going on in this movie because once he goes through the machine, he wants everybody to go through the machine and he does it even a couple of times. He goes through the teleportation process more than once and every time he feels, he's like convinced it's making him smarter, faster, better, stronger. He starts talking a mile a minute. So it's very clear you can see the sort of cocaine allegory in this right. story as well. There's abortion themes mm -hmm. in this movie. Like we said, the assisted suicide. This is a very deep layered Horror movie has a lot to say and it has a lot of things it wants you to feel. It's, you know, it's a 1980s remake of an old monster movie, but this I do feel like is really true to that universal monster style. It's very operatic film. The romantic elements that before like he starts switching and stuff all really work. Like when they first sleep mm -hmm. together for the first time. And, and for it to be including sexy. all the sort of like stereotypes of a unit, you know, it's a mad scientist. It's Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It's a guy playing God. Plus all the sort of like Frankenstein monster stuff where you're sort of sad for the creature. It incorporates all that stuff in a way that does not feel dated to me. And it doesn't feel cheesy either, even though it's campy at times. Yeah, definitely some campy stuff, but nothing that uh, turned me off. No. We talked about the special effects. They were done by uh, Chris Wallace. He did win an Academy Award for the special effects in this movie. Deservedly so. They're, They're awesome. Incredible. Chris Wallace also was the creature designer for Gremlins, and mm. he actually had to make the tough decision. He got the script, loved it, and then immediately Spielberg called him and was like, we're making Gremlins too. You coming? And he was like, do I do this exciting new story or do I go do Gremlins 2, which oh. probably more money waiting for him over at Spielberg's Gremlins 2. And, you know, he did the first Gremlins and he said, you know what? I'm going to do the fly. The script was just so powerful to him. Take the money. He was like, take, <laughs> you think he fucked up. Take the money. Yep. Well, he made the right decision because it earned him that Oscar. I also think that this movie is a great example of like, once again, doing things practically and like to inspire you mm -hmm. to do that because 
like if this movie was made today, it probably would all be CGI and it would look like shit. And the fact that it is like practically done makes it so yeah. like, oh, we'll get into it more. But like the fingernails and like yeah, everything you, is just so I had to hide in moments because it was so gross and creepy. I think what this proves is that you can't do gross with Digitally. CG. If you just take the time to do it. Yeah. The lasting effect is just so much more powerful. It really is. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to keep talking David Cronenberg's The Fly. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Biz, biz, buzz, we're back, folks, and we're talking The Fly. So this movie opens with opening credit sequence. You get a good Howard Shore. That Howard Shore score. I feel like sometimes um, the director credit gets uh, some significant visual. A hit. The cinematographer credit gets like a cool shot. Yeah. The Howard Shore credit, the music rises, yeah. <laughs> crescendos into something really cool. And then his name comes on. I was like, yeah, he's... He knows. He knows. Cronenberg's doing it because he's Cronenberg's guy. He basically yeah. does all of Cronenberg's scores. Mm-hmm. He also did the score for Silence of the Lambs. Seven, mm-hmm. The Cell. Those are all great, big. He's very big, horn-heavy, dark scores. So then we go to this like science convention and we get to meet Seth Brundle. This is Jeff Goldblum. He's talking about how he's got this great invention. What am I working on? Something that'll change the world. I appreciate that right off the bat, the movie is showing you these are your protagonists. I know I'm we not are going to waste any time. <laughs> right in. Just, yeah. Here we go. You meet Gina Davis. Her mm. name is Veronica. Um, she's a journalist. He's hitting on her. He invites her back over to his place for cappuccino. For all you coffee nerds out there, that machine that he's referencing, yeah. he's like, I got a genuine Fiema. That's like one of the first old uh, Italian espresso machines for home ever made. Mm-hmm. Oh. So it's like a vintage collector's item these days to I, like have one of those. Does that work nowadays? Can you go up to girls and you say, you want to <laughs> you want to come have a cappuccino in my place? I got a really fancy machine. Do you think that anybody gives a shit anymore? They don't care. I would, that would woo me. I would be, my pants would be, my pants would be down the second he said Fiamma. Did you guys notice in this first scene that Jeff Goldblum 
does not blink. No. No. He's not blinking. Wow. You think he's doing that intentionally? Channeling? I don't know if it's that. Fly, fly shadowing? Maybe. I'm also wondering if maybe it's like a gold bloom, like if you watch his stuff, because it like kind of like leads to his like, uh, yeah. like kind of vibe. But he does not blink. I thought the whole beginning of the the everything in the first 10, 15 minutes was super sexy. Big time. Yes. Yeah. The special effects begin when they do close-ups of Gina Davis's face. She's probably the best special effect in the mm-hmm. film. All practical, baby. Mm-hmm. She drives him to his house and you get this line where he says he's he has motion sickness. He hates vehicles. As a kid, he like threw up riding his tricycle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all just there to sort of give us a reason why he would want to create a teleportation device because yeah. he doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really come back into play in the movie other than the fact that like that's his sort of backstory justification for creating it. Yeah. He's sort of like Elon Musk if Elon Musk was actually smart and had good ideas. <laughs> Elon Musk is a fucking idiot. Oh, yeah. Seth Brundle <laughs> yeah. creates a teleportation device to get people from one place to another. Elon Musk just creates a bad train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they go to his apartment. It's very messy. Keep this in mind, folks, because your boy Jack has a little bit of a theory that he's going to present a little later on. But keep in mind that he has a messy apartment. He's living like a bachelor. He immediately plops down and starts playing a piano. <laughs> Which we all know, Jeff mm-hmm. Goldblum is a fantastic piano player. Have you ever seen him? In I LA? have. No. Wow. You, I haven't. Well, how had, have you and not Jeff? I have worked at a jazz club for many years in LA, and he used to do a show in LA at the Rockwell. At the Rockwell, which I don't know if he still does that, but he was at some event or something like that, and he came up and it was like a charity oh. event and did it. But then he kind of just kept playing for like an hour, and everybody kept coming up and taking pictures with him and video while he played. And he was very exactly the way mm-hmm. you would expect Jeff Goldblum yeah. to be. Yeah, magical, friendly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, super talented. But yeah, I love how kind of you were you were saying how much you love uh, music diegetically scoring a scene. Mm-hmm. I love that. Not only is he actually playing piano, but he's like sco- he's turning it into a comedy routine. Yeah. that also gets a little creepy, and he's scoring mm-hmm. the 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 horror that he's joking about yeah. with his piano playing. I thought that was brilliant. You, mm-hmm. know? you also see he has a little chip in his tooth, kind of like Jim Carrey. Did you notice that? I did. He has a little Dumb and Dumber chip in the tooth. So that's our first connection to Dumb and Dumber. I didn't recognize it. What do you mean? The like chip? he might have fixed it. I didn't or oh yeah, he probably yeah. fixed because this yeah. is early Goldblum. This right. is this his is breakout. before he. Yeah. Now he has fly money. Mm-hmm. So it's the first thing on my list. Fix the tooth. Fix the tooth. Mm-hmm. Also, Signs Connection, the producer of this movie. His Stuart. name's Stuart Cornfield. Cornfield. <laughs> yep. Like, yeah. Yeah. Great. So now Great. we're connected to signs. We're connected to Dumb and Dumb. And, okay. Also connected to signs. While we were watching this movie, I thought Jeff Goldblum is giving me M. Night Shyamalan vibes. Oh, yeah. He kind of, mm. something about the eyes. He's kind of mm. got the big bulging eyes that Shyamalan mm-hmm. also has. So we get to see these telepods that he has created. Gina Davis sort of makes a joke that they look like designer phone booths. Apparently, they were designed after uh, David Cronenberg's Ducati engine cylinder on his motorcycle. And apparently, the name Brundle was named after a motor car racer that uh, David Cronenberg really mm. likes. Brundle's a cool name. It sound, it feels good coming out of the mouth. Yeah. Brundle. Well, it, it sounds really good saying Brundle Fly. He was at a, a car racing show, and someone was like, wow, look at Brundle Fly. There you <laughs> go. Cronenberg, the camera slowly <laughs> zoomed in on Cronenberg's face as he was like, Brundle. The fly. (laughs) The fly. It's a true story. Mm -hmm. He wants to show her how they work, and he says, I need something. I need an object, something personal, something uniquely you. Sexy time. This scene. Oh, my God. So 
she doesn't wear jewelry, she says, mm-hmm. so she has to take off oh, one of her silk okay, stockings. And yeah, man, this is this is sexy for sure. She takes off her stocking, he puts it in the teleportation device. He sends it on through from one to the other. We get to see how this thing works. It literally zaps it away in one teleportation pod, comes out in the other. Oh, wait a minute. Is that a hologram? Where's my stocking? That's it, the real one. Go ahead, pick it up. I don't think I get it. What happened? You get it all right, you just can't handle it. Um, your stocking has just been teleported from one pod to another, uh, disintegrated there and reintegrated there. Uh, Corey, would you hit it after this? Would I, you I wouldn't hit believe it. it. Like, fuck Jeff Goldblum? Yeah, would you, would you hit it after this? I mean, I probably would have hit it before this. He's a stud in this movie, <laughs> yeah. but even now, before he takes his shirt off, you think he's a stud? No, that's true. He's yeah. kind of, but they kind of greasy. I, I have to say, they are hiding that bod they in do. the first half of this movie. You do not mm-hmm. realize, and then suddenly, as we see, mm-hmm. you're like, "Good God, Jeff Goldblum!" Yeah, yeah. Didn't know you had it in you. I assume this is basically how like David Blaine picks up chicks. Mm-hmm. Only he's like, "I'm gonna get in this oven." You're going to turn it on. David Blaine is incredible. You should watch his oh, like yeah. hour-long TV specials. That would, I mean, I would love more than anything to spend an hour with David Blaine and him just do magic tricks. <laughs> Please. Do you think that the government has things like this already and they're just not telling us? Hmm. I think the government has technology that is uh, like, 10 to 15 years ahead of what you're what you're seeing yeah so they're they're usually 10 to 15 years ahead it would shock me though if they had teleportation i don't think they have teleportation but i do think they have advanced technology that like we can't fathom yet yeah (laughs) so they you know it's impressive it impresses her they start talking they're hitting it off but then she reveals that she's like secretly recording him she has to flip the tape over that was kind of shady that she i agree it's a little dirty on her part he freaks out and he's like please you have to erase the tape this isn't ready to go out there i didn't realize you were a journalist and she's essentially like Fuck yourself. I, yeah, journalistic <laughs> integrity, you get consent before yeah. you. Yeah, she could not do this. She's yeah. kind of a shady journalist for sure. Yeah, but she's still She's, she's too stunning. Still she's stunning. too stunning. You can't resist. So she goes back to her boss at the magazine called Particle Magazine. Did you notice the exterior shot of the building kind of looked like a giant bug head? No. Like, you know how like flies have like those two big eyes and yeah. then on the eyes are a bunch mm. of like no. little things. The building looked exactly like that with a bunch of glass That's windows cool. that looked like eyes. I was like, whoa, this is a cool, Cronenberg for, for sure asked them to scout something yeah. like that. Yeah. And her boss is um, this man named Stathis Barnes, who's played by John Getz, who we all know and love from Blood Simple. I think John Getz is really good in this movie. It's quite a different character than what he plays in Blood Simple. He's a little over the top, but in a way that I like. He's giving me like big um, Ellis from Die Hard energy, you know, that like mm-hmm. sort of cokehead, clean cut beard, business yuppie piece of shit, you know? Mm-hmm. He's doing it really well. Cronenberg kind of has like 
gets interesting performances out of his actors. I kind of chalk it up to his Canadianness because all of his movies kind of have a little bit of over melodramatic mm-hmm. performances. And I think John Getz has kind of given you that in this movie where it's like a little bit in a different movie. Yeah, th- this is another interesting character that like I just do not like him. I don't like looking at him. I oh, don't he's like a bad his, guy. He I, is the bad he's guy. He's a bad guy, but then he he has a transformation. I know, it's, it's kind of like, crazy. Yeah, so this is my, I think if there's anything wrong with this movie, it's the love triangle aspect of it because you you watch the movie and the beginning of this movie, Stathis is such a creep. Major. He's so unlikable. Yeah. It seems like Gina Davis doesn't like him at all, even though they clearly have history. They're an old ex-boyfriend. Yeah, because yeah, well, he can... was her uh, professor yeah. in college. But then the movie in the third act starts to like try to turn him into kind of like a savior and from what I gather listening to the behind the scenes stuff is that as scripted, he was not meant to be as creepy and there wasn't meant to be quite as much animosity between them. And it was really supposed to be an actual kind of love triangle like Will, sh- who should if she go with kind of If they wanted it to be a thing. love triangle, they needed to cut out the scene of him at the mall. Yes. If they and would have cut that out, I could Because he looks like an insane maybe, person. Yeah. And the next day he's like totally normal again and he's yes. like respectful yes. of her boundaries. Yeah, like, if they needed to cut out that scene and they needed to cut out when he broke into her apartment and is like using her shower and stuff and yeah by the end of the movie he's like you know being a really good guy he's helping her he does help her with the abortion in a way that i was like okay yeah and the we can just talk about it now the original ending of this is that they get together like her and stathis end up living together Mm -hmm. and he ends up having her baby so that's the way cronenberg wrote it and that's the way cronenberg intended to do it but the problem was is that gina davis and jeff goldblum (gasps) were actually together, and Jeff Goldblum did not like the idea. That's your theory, or that's what They talk about it. They shot it. That's the way it was cut. They were doing preview screenings with the ending of her and Stathis being together, and Goldblum said that he was calling Cronenberg every day going, you cannot end the movie that way. Jeff Goldblum was like, I was very passionate about this part and this project, and I was very emotionally connected to it, and I did not like the idea of her character having any attraction to Stathis. Uh-uh, that's some weird fucking jealousy well, shit, too. Maybe it's jealousy, or maybe he's... because sur- Nobody I- wants it. The audience doesn't want her yeah. to get with Stathis, either. And in turn, Gina Davis also was, like, siding with Jeff. And yeah. so Gina Davis admits, too, that, like, as scripted, the scenes between her and Stathis were not meant to be quite as antagonistic, but that she brought that I think that's better though the closer she gets to him the more I'm like I'm out I don't Mm -hmm. get this I don't get the attraction and like Stathis yeah 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 yeah. and also it's like I'm still on Brundle's side I feel bad for the guy so if she had a genuine connection with him it doesn't make sense to me that just because that's deteriorating that she's going back to the one other piece of trash she has I feel like the only reason it kind of makes sense is because that's like her only other like like that's her friend too it's like the only person that she knows to go to which does make her feel kind of childlike to me like the way that that is written is like oh i have to like she you are needs sort a man of like to take care of her. You're so, are sort of like what she's going to Stathis for help. It's like yeah. it's frustrating, but you. I think yeah. it's a situation of like Cronenberg pictured it one way and wrote it one way, but the actors brought something to it that overshadowed what was intended in the script. And I think he sort of half listened to that and sort of let the actors do their thing, but he didn't change the script. And that's why the movie just ends right after she blows his head off, which is a great ending. It's the perfect way to end it. It's the most it heightened is. climactic part. We don't need a coda where we see that she's with Stathis. We don't want that. 
But Jeff didn't want it because he was with Gina. And she was in love with Jeff, too, and was like, I don't want, I don't like him. I love that. Great. Yeah. Why not? I don't see any problem with it. They were right. And Cronenberg should have just kind of been listening to that more. But yeah. he didn't let it tank the movie Sounds or like Cronenberg needs to get a little more familiar with the flesh himself. Mm. Wow. Cronenberg did say that he and Jeff kind of fell in love with each other. He was like, you know, when you work really closely with your lead actor, you do kind of form a, a little bit of a bond with them as well. And he said because Jeff was like working out a lot and pumping up on set, it was like inspiring <laughs> Cronenberg to also start lifting weights and pump up because he was like, well, Jeff's doing it. I want to do it. He said this is the one and only movie ever made where he was in better shape by the end of it nice. uh, he tells her that the, the machine is not ready yet it can only transport inanimate objects it doesn't know what to do with flesh he's got to teach it and he's telling her wait for me like i want to give you the story i want to share this with you but you got to wait for me and i think i should be the one to tell it you should tell it but uh not yet look what do you got so far enough to make you nervous why not get more? Let me become your major project. I'm talking about a book, not a magazine article. Follow me and my work day by day in as much detail as you can stand. I don't have a life, so there's nothing for you to interfere with. Even though in this scene, it's so frustrating because nobody takes a bite of their burger. Yeah. Gina Davis just like picks off a little piece of lettuce. Mm -hmm. And then when it's like over her shoulder, you see somebody take like a little tiny nibble of the burger. It's yeah, I want when we do a diner scene where people are eating, I want real food. It's important. And I want them to eat like they eat in real yes, life. Yes, just and have spit buckets. I understand mm -hmm. that these people yeah, cannot be eating swallow, a million. But cakes. you gotta take the bites. You can't yeah. just pick a little piece of it's lettuce so out. Who cares about continuity? Just eat, eat it. At one point, he even picks up a fry, and I'm like, oh, good, he's going to eat a fry. No, he just uses it like a little magic wand to like mm -hmm. demonstrate yes. something. There's a scene where he pulls out a candy bar. He like fiendishly rips open the candy bar and then brings it up to his mouth and then takes the tiniest. The tiniest he bite literally of a just quarter. bites a little corner out of it. And it's like, <laughs> come on, dude. So then we get this baboon teleportation sequence. This is. Um, pretty intense scene where he puts a baboon into the telepod as a test. He sends it to the other side. They go open the door and this baboon has been turned straight it's up inside so out. so fucked up. I hate, this is my least favorite scene. It's really gross. Where is he getting these baboons? Honestly, a monkey's arch enemy is a fucking scientist. Yes. Yeah. Nobody kills more monkeys than fucking scientists. Ugh, I hate yeah, it. Yeah, monkeys, rabbits, mice. To his credit, it does seem like he feels bad about it. She pulls out a camcorder and is like, tell the people how you feel. And he goes, fuck is what I'm thinking. She crawls into bed with him. Mm -hmm. They make sweet, sweet love. We come to them post-coital. They're rolling around the bed. He rolls over and we see that a little microchip stabbed into his back. Mm -hmm. This like errant piece of microchip that was in the bed with them. Now here's where my little theory comes into play. Uh-huh. And it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. This foreign object is in the bed. The bed is almost kind of like the pod. Sex is kind of like nature's fusion. Two people fuse together and create a new thing. That's exactly what his pod is doing. And this thing that they don't expect is in there. Mm -hmm. The reason why this microchip is in his bed is because this man lives a messy life. And within this messy life, he's also cross-contaminating. You see his, his, his house. Listen. Get us there. Get listen. us there. His living room is also his lab and is also his bedroom. Mm -hmm. So there's cross-contamination going on here. And the whole reason why he's got flies is because he lives messy. I think one of the themes of this movie is about cleanliness. cleanliness. <laughs> it is how you have to keep tidy or bad shit will happen, especially if you're dealing with science. Cool. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> keep your hands clean, keep your spaces tidy, and don't shit where you eat, and don't do lab experiments where you shit and eat and have uh-huh, sex. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's a cautionary tale. This segment took 10 minutes. I know. Let's <laughs> get it popping. I think people are going to write papers about this, to Still be honest. Going. Um, the microchip to me just feels like foreshadowing for what happens to him in the end and the blending of man and machine. True. You know, mm, our yeah. dependency on technology maybe or whatever. But Yeah, I agree with that. But wash your hands, folks. That's what I'm saying. Anyways. <laughs> so while they're kind of like whispering sweet nothings into each other's ears in bed, she says, I want to eat you up. The same way old ladies pinch babies' cheeks. They just, the flesh makes them crazy. And this gives Jeff Goldblum an idea. Such a weird forced uh-huh. line. Yeah, it is. It was It was like, <laughs> kind of gave me the eebie-jeebies. I need him to have an aha moment uh-huh. here. What can Gina Davis say that I've definitely heard during times when I've had sex? And I have had sex. I promise I have. So this gives him an idea. He gets a steak. He sends the steak through the teleportation thing. Then he cooks it. And he has Gina Davis eat, which is fucking crazy that she even does. Yeah, you eat it, asshole. I wouldn't eat it just for the simple fact that it you don't know what it's done to this thing, not to mention the monkey guts that could be on it. Yeah. She takes a bite of it. She immediately spits it out because it tastes synthetic. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, the computer is giving an interpretation of the steak. It's translating it. It's rethinking it rather than reproducing it. Something is getting lost in the translation. You know what this sounds like to me? Huh. AI. Mm-hmm. AI, mm-hmm. when it comes to art or anything, it's an interpretation. It's a translation. But as we see with AI art, at a glance, looks awesome. But you start looking at it up close, you start chewing on that AI art, and it makes you want to vomit. Yeah. It's like so uncanny valley disturbing. Yeah. I mean, you're even generous to call it an interpretation. It's straight up theft. It's only taking what you put into it. So it's stealing styles that other human beings are creating True. and regurgitating True. that as art. We're going to be left with things True. that look real, but it's still imitation, True. still theft. But what this makes me think about is Seth fixes it. He realizes he needs to teach the, the computer the poetry of the flesh, the poetry of a stake of a human body. Mm-hmm. So eventually, the AI will figure out the poetry of something and it will solve those issues. Scary. But what I want to know is what's the fly? Mm-hmm. All right, what's the thing that we don't expect to get into that AI that then really causes a nightmare? Uh, corrupt governments and fascist mm-hmm. leaders. It's going to be human, that's for sure. I'll tell you what. Although, what if it's insect? We don't know. A virus, a bug, computer virus? A bug in the system. Mm-hmm. Guys, we're on to something. That's Cronin another- dorks on to something. Listeners, I, you're getting papers up the wazoo. College professors are going to be listening to this for years, especially the part where I talk about the cleanliness of I also the- have to say, I looked up David Cronenberg back then. Very cute. Yeah. He's not looking like as much of a dork as I would have thought him to look oh, like. Oh, no. When you yeah, compare right. him to his to his contemporaries- He's like- a type. For some people, he's- But look at that. Like, look at that picture He's right got there. piercing like, he's blue not, eyes. He's not- He's got a strong jawline, nice head of hair. Just saying, he's a nerd. Well, for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. But he's the nerd who made Crash. I mean, this man's a freak, too. She goes to uh, like a men's warehouse because he's going to like the way he looks. I guarantee it. She buys him a leather jacket. Which is hilarious that she's buying him a leather jacket. Yeah. She's like, I got to get this guy looking better. Well, you know, she had the conversation with him about how he wears the same thing every day like Einstein. So she's like, I got to help this nerd get a little cooler because that's what you do in a relationship. You make your partner sexier. I've done it to you. You've done it to me. I think I'm... (laughs) 
Totally Gina Davis to you, sir. By the way, Gina Davis's fits are good in this movie. Very good. I love all of her. All clothes. of her clothes are really on point. They put another baboon through the through the teleport, and it works. By the way, in the special features, interesting guy, this baboon. One, when you have a baboon on set, can't look him in the eye, can't make loud noises. If you're a woman and you're on your period, you can't come to set because wow. it'll it'll get them too riled up. And they said that the script supervisor happened to have the same haircut as the woman who trained him. So the baboon was like particularly attracted to her. And because she had to be on set the whole time, the baboon had an erection <gasps> because of her the whole movie. And you can actually see it in basically every shot with the baboon where you can see it's let, you can see like it's hard little baboon penis. Typical film crew. <laughs> the baboon was very well behaved because the trainer was an alpha to it. And because Jeff Goldblum is so tall and big, mm. it immediately, Jeff Goldblum became the alpha to it. And so no surprise, Jeff Goldblum and the baboon got along swimmingly. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was very kind of nervous by it. But they said at one point when they did the sequence where it got sent through the pod, they had practical flashing lights in the telepod to, to simulate the, the zap. And when they did the take the first time, the flashing lights scared the baboon so bad that it ripped the doors off the hinges to get out of the telepod because baboons have six times the strength of humans. That's amazing. So then in order to fix it, the Wrangler just had to get in the pod with it for the take. So in all all the takes with the baboon in the pod, the Wrangler is just off to the side wow. inside, the, like squeezed mm -hmm. against the wall to make the baboon feel good. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were ripped out of your home and put inside of a pod with flashing lights and 50 crew members, and all of a sudden you, you know. You just need your dad there. Yeah. You just need your dad. Aww. So they start to fall in love. They're popping champagne. He decides he wants to order some eggplant, and she discovers that he has this like magazine mock-up from Particle Magazine there. It's kind of got this cool illustration of his face on there. It's very 80s looking, but I think it looks cool. Clearly, Stathis sent it there because Stathis is trying to move in on this guy. This She says this line, it's so good. I got the residue of another life on me still. I got to go scrape it off. Oh, mm -hmm. what a good line. It's a good line. But- Jeff Goldblum can't see past himself and he thinks it's about him. Yeah, he's confused. He's like, and she's going to go sleep with my yeah, guy. Yeah, he immediately thinks she's going to go sleep. Why would he assume I know, that? it makes no like, sense. It makes no sense. Yeah. So then he starts going freaking. He starts drinking. Yeah, crazy. He's talking to the baboon. Whereas you means her old boyfriend, doesn't it? is Barnes is her old boyfriend. From the desk of Stathis Barnes. How about under the desk of staff at Barnes? She's working for her old boyfriend. Now she runs out late at night to see him. Was this the Ronnie game? I'm catching on, I'm catching on. I didn't mean to kill your brother, but he didn't die in vain, if that's of any comfort. And as the general said, there's nothing I'd ask you to do that I wouldn't do myself, boys. And this is the scene where we meet the main character of the film. The fly. The eponymous fly. Fly's buzzing around. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny because it's buzzing around the baboon's face. Yeah, that was impressive. You know who fucking hates flies? Henry. Henry. Hates them. Yeah. If all of a sudden he got up and like left the room for no reason, you would know there's a fly in the room. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, he puts himself through. He doesn't realize that there's a fly in there. And when he comes out the other side. Okay, something happens in this scene too that I was like, mm. Did something when he gets into that pod remind you of another movie? Terminator yes, 2, baby. Thank you. Yeah. 
I screamed it when we were watching. I was like, mm-hmm. I found the Terminator connection. <laughs> when he comes out the other side, he looks like straight up Arnold Schwarzenegger from the Terminator. He's a little, he's clearly oiled down. Ass he's looking naked. buff as hell. Like, yeah. damn. The baboon runs and jumps and he catches him without even looking. And it's a pretty cool little moment. How are you doing? Now you tell me. Am I different somehow? Is it live or is it Memorex? It's too bad Ronnie missed it. He has an interesting line here where he says, um, is it live or is it Memorex? What is Memorex? So that's a slogan from a cassette tape company called Memorex. And they're back in the 80s, they had like a campaign where the slogan was, is it live or is it Memorex? The commercial was like a real singer singing and the singer would break a glass in real life and then they would play the tape back and the tape would also break the glass. And so the slogan is like, it's so real. Is it live or is it Memorex? So hypothetically, he would also be getting fused with like the food and drink that he just ate, right? Like if you ate a hot dog and then got into this thing. <laughs> Become a hot dog? I mean, would the th- it's, it's breaking down your molecules and re-putting you back together again as one. The same thing that with the fly, like would he not then turn into like the fucking hot dog man? Slowly? Could be. David Cronenberg's Oscar Mayer Wiener. Mm. That's the sequel. He lost me when he put himself in the pod alone without Gina. I was like, fuck you. Oh, I literally wrote in this thing. I'm like, toxic masculinity is turning his ass into a fly. He even says like, uh, it's too bad she missed it. I was like, Mm -hmm. are you fucking, this is before you turn into a monster. So that told me in that moment, it was like very clear. If he wasn't a narcissist, he would have waited for her. If he actually. mm -hmm. It's beyond narcissism though, it's jealousy. Because he does that when he thinks that she's going and hooking up with her old boyfriend, Stathis. Yeah, but jealousy and, and I've narcissism. And I've said it before on other episodes, and I'll say it again. Jealous men- Are scary They men. make the most idiotic, irrational decisions. Jealousy will change your brain structure. Jealousy is also a symptom of narcissism. But For sure. They, they go For hand sure. in hand. For sure. Point being, he did something really selfish in that moment, and uh, she knew he knew how much it meant to her. Yeah. You know, It wasn't just about his safety. It's about like- they're building something together and she mm-hmm. wants to be a part of it. And he yeah. did it without her. And that was, that was the moment he didn't save the cat. <laughs> well, he did in the deleted scenes. He does a lot more to a cat that, that yeah. they had to cut out the movie because it was so intense. So she comes back and he tells her that he went through, he starts doing extreme gymnastics in the kitchen. <laughs> so funny. This scene reminds me of flash dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you can kind of tell that there's a body double thing going on here. And part of that is because Jeff Goldblum is so tall and gymnasts are classically very small people. And so they're having to kind of do like a forced perspective thing to like put these gymnasts who are doing these amazing things on there, but like make it kind of look like it's Jeff Goldblum. And you can sort of see a little bit of a size difference as it's happening. Uh, but it looks good. looks fun. She should honestly be filming that. So then they go get coffee and he's totally cracked out. He's dumping Sugar, spoon after sugar, talking a mile a minute. He's saying that he, it purified him, cleansed him. Why I'm beginning to think that the sheer process of being taken apart atom by atom and put back together again, why it's like coffee being put through a filter. It's somehow a purifying process. It's purified me. It's cleansed me. And I'll tell you, I think it's going to allow me to realize the personal potential I've been neglecting all these years that I've been obsessively pursuing goal after goal. Do you normally take coffee with your sugar? What? You know, I just don't think I've ever given me a chance to be me. But 
of course, interestingly, at the exact same moment that I uh, achieved what will probably prove to be my life's work, that's the moment when I started being the real me, finally. So, uh, listen, uh, not to wax messianic, but uh, it may be true that the synchronicity of those two events might blur the resultant individual effect of either individually. But it is uh, uh, nevertheless also certainly true, I will say now, however uh, subjectively, that uh, human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown and reformation is inherently purging. It makes a man a king. From the moment I walked out of the pot, I felt like a million bucks. You know, I think I am going to have a, a cannoli after all. Waiter! Apparently, a lot of the dialogue in this scene, too, was improvised by Jeff Goldblum. Only half of it was scripted, and he went crazy on the rest of it. And yeah. A good portion of it is him. Um, they go back home, and they bone all night long. They go enough times that she has to, to tap out, and he's like, wants to keep going. So he starts pressuring her to get into the pod, and he's like, you know, we'll be a power couple. We'll go all night long. It'll be like superheroes. Fucking. He's starting to get acne on his face here, too. This is like the beginning stages of, like, the body horror starting. Mm -hmm. The part where the microchip pierced into his back, starting to sprout these really thick fly hairs. So she cuts a few off. He tries to get her into this machine, and she won't do it. And he goes, you're a fucking drag. You know that? And I, I love this scary because he's really scary, but he's like standing there in his like tidy whitey underwear and he looks like a little kid, like having a little tantrum. Yeah. And he's like, you're jealous. You don't even want it. You're scared of the plasma pool. He's like totally fucked. This is where it really feels like a cocaine movie or something. Mm-hmm. He's talking about penetration. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm talking about the real penetration. Yeah, a deep penetrative dive beyond the veil of the flesh. He gets mad. He goes nuts and he storms out wearing basically only his leather jacket. He's got like a pair of sweats on, but he's not wearing a shirt underneath. Great shot of him storming through the streets, eating a candy bar with the good Howard score music blasting. It's very operatic. Cronenberg said that when Mel Brooks first saw this, he was like, why is the music so big here? He's just walking down the street. And David Cronenberg said, no, but he's walking to his destiny. Mm-hmm. Mm. And he was like, they're okay. Keep the music. Little kind of like an uncut gems shot or something, yeah. you know, like Sandler walking through the night mm-hmm. night streets. I and love this it. is when you know this, this movie is about to take off. Mm-hmm. And it sure does. So he goes to this bar. And he sees this girl and he starts hitting on her and she tells him that she's there with this other guy. And we look over and the other guy is this huge fucking dude with a mustache whose real name is George Chuvalo. He was a Canadian heavyweight boxer. He fought Muhammad Ali. His reputation is that he never in his entire boxing career got knocked off his feet. And this guy is doing arm wrestling contests. And so (laughs) Jeff Goldblum is like, all right, I'm going to arm wrestle him for you, for the girl. She's like, go for it, dude. They start doing it. The guy thinks he's going to beat Jeff Goldblum in a heartbeat, but he starts putting the pressure on him. This like milky sweat starts coming out of their wrists. He's shaking. You see it in the guy's face like, oh my God, am I about to lose this thing? And then snap, fucking snaps his arm, compound fracture. It comes shooting out. This scene shook me. I screamed. Gross. It's so well done. It literally scares the shit out of everybody in the bar. He starts screaming and Jeff Goldblum just stands up, walks over, grabs a girl and just pulls her out of the bar. That's how you do it. So he takes her back home and he starts putting himself through the teleportation again. It's like he's he's taking hits off the coke hit. It's crazy. He um, goes over and lays on her and you get this ass shot of Jeff Goldblum. And I came to the realization that I think Jeff Goldblum has a smaller ass than I do. 
That's I, not body it, shaming you, bud, but you got a small little ass. And maybe even less hair than you do, too. I didn't <laughs> yeah. see one hair on that body. I know. He is hairless. He has sex with her, but then he wants to put her through. And very much like a I drug- I like her. She's funny. Yeah, me too. This is very much like a drug addict, too, like trying to get people to do it with you, you know? Mm. She doesn't want to. She starts fighting him. She says, I don't want to. I'm afraid. He says, don't be afraid. And all of a sudden, Gina Davis pops up. She goes, no, be afraid. Be very afraid. Which is very interesting that I think a lot of people know this line, but I don't think a lot of people know it's Nobody from the fly. Knows. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is crazy. Everybody says this. That. I remember my mom saying mm-hmm. this line, and I don't think she knew it was from the fly. Yeah. And apparently it was uh, Mel Brooks who said it, because they were talking about the scene when they were do- in the scripting stages. And uh, I guess Cronenberg, he was like, maybe she should be interested in going in it. And Mel Brooks said, no, honestly, she should be afraid. She should be very afraid. And Cronenberg was like, that's good, Mel. Can I use that? And he was like, sure. Credit old Mel Brooks for that mm-hmm. line. And then he calls Gina Davis his mom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I missed that line. Yeah. She says, who's this? He's like, oh, I'm going to live with my mom. Man, adds pour some uh-huh. more salt on uh-huh. the wound, will you? Doofus. <laughs> so she tells him that she took the, the hairs from his back to the lab, had them analyzed, which is a very movie thing. I don't think you could just do that in How real life. How dare you analyze my hairs without my consent? <laughs> Those are my hairs. And she says, like, they... They have insect. There's insect hairs, and he goes, "You're jealous." And she says, "You're sick." And he goes, "Oh, I'm sick." Would a sick man do this? He starts punching the wall to pieces. Have you ever punched a wall before? Yeah. Have you broken broken it? I've never punched a hole through a wall. It hurts. It's yeah. not. It's not good. I did it one time as a kid. Did nothing to the wall and only hurt my hand a lot. I worked at a restaurant that one time the chef got so mad and he walked into the cooler. The what the fuck is that called? Oh, the walk-in. Mm-hmm. And he punched as hard as he could a thing of butter but it was like frozen and he shattered his hand Damn. and he could not work he was like no longer the chef for like six, he did end up coming back like four months that, later or something that sucks because you know in his mind he thought this is the perfect thing to punch yes yeah because it's just some soft ass butter it's gonna feel good mm-hmm. to just destroy a it blo- a huge block of butter no and he got Shattered a rude awakening hand. oh yeah. that sucks because i know exactly if i was mad and there was a big ass block of butter that i thought was just soft butter the perfect thing to punch mm-hmm. damn Man. I felt bad for him. I like The him. universe turned on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it put him out of work for a while. Yeah. Lesson learned, folks. Don't punch anything. Even if it, don't even punch a pillow. Yes. Because you never know if a, punching a bag. pillow could be a prop pillow made out of cement. Damn. Who's living with a prop pillow of cement? Who's walking around with frozen butter? Restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> Take in your surroundings. Think about it before you punch. <sighs> So he looks in the mirror. He looks like utter shit. He starts picking at himself. He bites one of his nails off. Ugh, this is something about nail stuff is one of the grossest things in a movie to me. Yeah. And this feels like a trope that we see far too often now. It's just no longer effective for me anymore. Yeah. It like, is in this movie. Though. It still works yeah. for me. With the, the goo that comes out of the nails, too. Mm-hmm. They say that the reason why stuff like that works better is because we all kind of know the feeling of like <laughs> accidentally popping your nail off. They say the same thing about like paper cuts. Like a, seeing a character get a paper cut in a movie is more viscerally uh, to people than seeing them get shot or stabbed because a lot yeah. of us don't have a context for what getting shot or stabbed feels mm-hmm. like. But we all know the extreme pain of a paper cut. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of what the nail thing. That's why it works so well. Yeah. I think especially, you know what would maybe make it worse is if he did it to his toe. 
Mm. I just mean it's like it's a trope we just see. Oh yeah, often. I know what you mean. So yeah, it's yeah. like it doesn't. Feel Everybody does it now. Yeah. I can't even. Seth calls Ronnie. He says, "I've gotten a lot worse. You need to come see me." She goes to see him. There's one music cue in mm-hmm. the whole movie that I thought was really strange. Which when she sees him for the first time as like the fly guy, yeah, and he has two canes, uh-huh. and he walks out from behind one of the pods, <laughs> and the music stings so loud, <laughs> and then they fade that music out hard. The music doesn't naturally. Uh-huh. It's like they're trying to um, re- uh, crescendo yeah. that scene retroactively, yeah. not with retroactive like, spotting. Exactly. Yeah. So somebody took a cue that wasn't meant to go there and then faded it out. And then the music kind of yeah. gradually changes mm-hmm. back into more like sad music. I bet you uh, if you were to talk to Howard Shore, he'd be like, yep, I hate that part. Mm-hmm. They did that. And that was not supposed to be that way. Mm-hmm. Don't like it. This is sad. His face is really fucked up looking. His shirt's all stained with pus. His face look. He, you His know, shirt is revolting. <laughs> I could barely even look at that. He looks a little like Michael Jackson in Thriller, the mm, Thriller video with cum all over his shirt. Exactly. Yeah. He picks up a donut and very suddenly pukes on it. Which this was the scene that gave me the biggest EBGBs the first time I saw it, oh, and it's, it's still really gross because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's there's disgusting. not really a lot of build. It's also up for all it. I can think about now when I see a fly is: does a fly do that every time it lands, or like you're at a yeah. barbecue and it just yeah, a fly lands so. on the food? Mm-hmm. I think if it's moving its little hands around, it's, pu- it's because not only it's, that, it's up puking, that it's jizzing, it's shitting, it's, <laughs> it's pissing, and it's covered in feces. <laughs> Flies are horrendous. Yeah. Yeah, he describes that his teeth have basically become useless uh, because his stomach can't digest solid foods, and so which is what flies do. They vomit on the food first to pre-digest it. Then they just slurp up the slop. I'm getting queasy. It's pretty gross. Um, then his ear falls off right in front of her, and he goes, I'm scared. And this is one of the cringiest moments because... He needs support, and so she leans in and hugs him just right after his fucking ear fell off. She's so sweet. She's very sweet, but boy, I would not. I would be giving him maybe a pat on the leg at the most. There's no way I would hug him. Wow. Okay. And they said that the when they um, previewed this movie for audiences, this was the scene that got the biggest reaction when she hugs him. Mm. was what got the biggest reaction because people were in the theater going, why the fuck are you hugging him? He's so gross. So she decides to go tell Stathis about his condition. She comes back to him and all of a sudden, Seth Brundle's climbing on the fucking walls. Seth? No, 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 up here. Got pretty good at it, haven't I? Yeah, it's almost second nature. Stop biting my nails. I seem to be stricken by a disease with a purpose, wouldn't you say? Uh, uh, Maybe not such a bad disease after all. I can't stay. No, no, no. Why not? Why can't you? I can't take it. It's too much. That's what it takes. The disease has just revealed its purpose. We don't have to worry about contagion anymore. I know what the disease wants. What does the disease want? It wants to turn me into something else. That's not too terrible, is it? Most people would give anything to be turned into something else. Turned into what? What do you think, a fly? Am I becoming a 185-pound fly? No, I'm becoming something that never existed before. I'm becoming Brundle Fly. 
and has kind of like a new zest about him. He's mm-hmm. kind of he's past the sort of it's like acceptance. Phase yeah, or something. and he seems to feel a little bit better too. Yeah, they did this with a revolving set. It's a classic effect uh, that was I think first done by Fred Astaire in the movie The Royal Wedding, nineteen fifty one. I went back and watched that sequence. And that, man, I still, I think that's maybe the most impressive it's ever been. The Fred Astaire sequence is awesome because it looks amazing. The way he maneuvers around that rotating set. At one point, Fred Astaire even crawls around like a spider and he looks better than Jeff Goldblum. We've seen it done in the Sugar Ray music video for Fly. It's been done countless times when people need to like walk on the ceiling. It looks good here, but I got to say, I think it's never looked better than in the Royal Wedding. What I really like about Jeff Goldblum's acting in this scene is his eye acting. When he comes up close to the camera, his eyes Mm -hmm. are darting around like a fly. Yeah, his weird head twitches. It's really impressive. The next scene, Ronnie reveals to Stathis that she's pregnant. And she doesn't know because she had sex with Seth before teleportation and after. And so it's a 50-50. We don't know if she's got fly baby or regular human baby. Mm-hmm. And we get the sequence where they go to a, a gynecologist who is played by David Cronenberg. According to Cronenberg, this was Gina Davis's idea for him to play it. She said, if anybody's going to be down there, I want it to be the director. He said it was also inspired a little bit the first time he met Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese had seen... Scanners and Rabid and The Brood, and he was really impressed by David Cronenberg's movies. He thought they were very scary. And so he assumed that Cronenberg was going to be a very scary guy in real life. But when they met each other for the first time, he was like, oh, you just look like a Beverly Hills gynecologist. And so that's kind of was also the inspiration is that Scorsese thought he looked like a gynecologist. That's it. Wow. Come on. Push. Oh, push those muscles. No, that's it. Wait. Give us a push. You can push it out. Come on. That's it. Come on. No, wait, wait. No. So he's going in to give the perform the oh, abortion, and then all of a sudden wait. he's like, wait a second, oh. something's wrong, and they all look down. No! 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 He pulls out this giant maggot baby. No! No! We realize we're in a dream. That's pretty that gross looking. Scary. Thank God. I know. It's very scary. Felt real. And so she's like, I got to get this thing out of me quick. But she feels like she needs to go tell Seth. She goes back to Seth's apartment. He's looking like a total monster. He's not even wearing clothes at this point. He's just like in, essentially in full fly gross out mode. We see that he's taking all the bits and pieces of him that are falling off and he's saving them in his medicine cabinet. He refers to it as the Brundle Museum of Natural History. <laughs> and we get a good look in there and I'm pretty sure you see his penis in there. There's a little thing know. that looks like a dick sitting there. He did Good. say that. He does say that. I think this has some of the most poignant lines in this scene as he says, um, you have to leave now and never come back. And she says, why? And he says, have you ever heard of insect politics? Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion, no compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but oh, I'm afraid. Uh, I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. I'm 
saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. I'm saying I'll hurt you this day. Shore score, baby, it hits hard, and you're like, we are in an opera. This is good shit here. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. Yeah. That's poignant dialogue. That's the best line in the movie. It's so good. It, it sums up the whole line. thing. That is a good one. This is like what Guillermo del Toro tries to achieve with all of his movies. He Careful. wants Careful, there's a lot of I'm not Toro saying, fans. Look, I'm not saying he doesn't succeed. I'm just saying he I succeeds think in a, in his own way. In this a sort of way. beautiful, poignant, sad, melodramatic monster movie is exactly the tone that he's always going for. And we see this is an example of how it, well it can work. But it doesn't always. It's a, it's a tightrope, you know? When you're dealing with... It's campy. Mm-hmm. It's campy stuff. And so yeah. you, you don't want people to laugh at the wrong stuff. Yeah, but there you have to recognize that there are people who watch this and, and laugh. Not everyone sees it Dude, the same way that you do. I agree. I actually, not too long ago, heard somebody talking about this on a podcast, and they were talking about how they were really excited to rewatch this movie, and they wanted to show their friend, and they put it on and that they were embarrassed. What? That the movie, like they were like, it doesn't hold up. It's like really melodramatic, and it was kind of embarrassing. And I was just like, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You're dead wrong, bro. Is this the scene where Gina Davis does that dramatic turn? Describe it. She's like, I think it's she's he's telling her not to come back, yeah. basically. And she just like is walking backwards and shakes her head and she goes <laughs> and whips her head and turns around and like Maybe. sulks away. It's so funny. She I think she does a really great job though of just like capturing the devastation of yeah. this whole Yeah, and she looks she looks movie. like she's had a physical transformation Ooh. as well. Her face yeah. is uh she's going like she's, she's tired. She's going yeah. through it. Oh, and we're really experiencing this movie through her. She is our surrogate. Mm-hmm. We feel sad. So she goes immediately downstairs. She doesn't tell him that she's pregnant. But she goes down and she tells Stathis, "We got to go get this thing out of me right now." But what they don't know is that Seth is up there listening. So he discovers that she's pregnant and that she's going to go have an abortion. And so they go to an overnight doctor and they leave her to go get changed. And all of a sudden, Seth Brundle as the fly bursts through the window. This feels real monster movie, like grabs her like King Kong and, and jumps out. And we get this great sequence on a rooftop where he's like begging her, like, don't kill the baby. Like, it might be the only thing left of the human me. Please don't. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. And uh, Stathis goes to his lab with his shotgun. But what we don't know is that old Seth Brundle has already snuck in there. He jumps down on Stathis, pulls the gun away from him, vomits his little acid puke onto his hand and melts his hand away. And this looks really cool. It's like disgusting looking. It's really freaky. Then goes to his leg and he pukes on his leg. <laughs> it's hilarious too because he looked like Jeff Goldblum looks like he's like enjoying oh, it. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Should I? You he's want like me to licking his puke lips. on your uh, leg here? <laughs> oh, here I come. I did watch The Fly 2 which I'd seen before and knew it was bad but Ooh. I was like I want to see it's un. It's nearly unwatchable. It's terrible. Is it about a fly baby? It's essentially one of those shitty sequels where they just take all the beats of the first one and just redo them, but with like a teenager. Yeah. It's called The Fly 2, like father, like son. Yeah. 
But really, the that's just the tag is mm. like popular. Like the that. only returning character is Stathis. John Getz, he returns. Oh, for and he has a really cheesy line in it where he is like, I dealt with your father, cost me an arm and a leg. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> get out of here. Terrible film. Don't watch it. Although the film was directed by uh, Chris Wayless, the guy who did the special effects. I think it was his directorial debut. And I don't think he did much more after yeah. that. So he gets Gina Davis back into the lab and he's tells her his big plan. He wants to fuse them together. And in his mind, he's like, it'll be you and me and the baby and we'll be one. We'll be one together. He's crazed. He's crazed at this mm -hmm. point. And he's lonely. He just wants to share his death, his life, his death with somebody. We'll be the ultimate family, he says. And in her attempts to push herself away from him, she ends up ripping off his jaw. And from this point on, Goldblum's out of the picture. We're all puppet. And this is, this is where the Oscar winning effects really come in here. This looks fucking great. So his jaw falls off, his face literally breaks open and his legs break open and it's all bloody and gooey and goopy and looks incredible. Chris Wayless talked about how at the time, we're post American Werewolf, we're post The Thing, we're post The Howling, bladder effects were like really in vogue. And he said he wanted to do anything but bladder effects because he said at that point, 60 Minutes, Good Morning America, they were talking about bladder. He's like, housewives knew what a bladder effect was at this point. So they came up with a concept that instead of it like growing out of him and that his skin, his flesh would fall off and it would create these, you know, expand out from under him and it looks gnarly. And the final sort of puppet, which which was like, I think it took 14 different people to puppeteer on like tracks and stuff. Looks amazing. I remember seeing this puppet, or at least a, um, a copy of it, in real life when I went to Universal Studios for the first time. They did a special effects show, and they had this fly there. He grabs her, and he throws Ronnie into one of the pods, and then the fly sort of wobbles its way over to the other pod and starts the process. It's got two minutes. Stathis grabs a shotgun, shoots the wires of Gina Davis's pod so that it's not connected to the process. Seth, as the fly realizes, he tries to burst his way out of the telepod. He gets halfway out of it when the machine goes, sends him to the other pod, partially fused to the door of the telepod. So he comes out the other side Half man, half fly, half fucking door. He really needs to rewrite the code to this <laughs> software. Put in some safety yeah. measures, dude. Yeah. Hey, if you want to fuse two things together and one of those things is no longer there, maybe abort the machine yeah. should abort some the process. Some sort of, yeah, pull the Not, plug. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll fuse it with a door. <laughs> so he comes crawling out of this thing this abomination and what's great about the design of this fly is the eyeballs on it they're they're these big black eyes but they're weirdly expressive and they're sort of watery and they're sad mm -hmm. as, as as a puppet you know you you see the spirit in there ronnie picks up the shotgun and gina davis is fucking awesome in the scene she's just bawling Corey did critique her that she didn't have actual tears there running was no out of her tears face. she's given it all she's got i mean i i believe it creature grabs the barrel of the shotgun and brings it to his head and we, oh, so sad. we know in this moment that he's not full fly and Seth is still in there and he's that's the human in him saying kill me oh, I can't and yeah she she does what he asks she blows his fucking head off 
fade to black. Yeah. I can't even really think of a one horror movie that ends that quickly yeah. after the final explosion. Like, there's even like a cup, maybe if a movie ends like that, there's a couple beats afterwards, not even yeah. a full scene, but just like a moment. There's, there's like nothing. That's the Roger Corman motto. Kill the monster in the movie. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. And it's true. First credit that pops up is Chris Whalis, special creature effects by mm -hmm. Chris Whalis, Oscar winning. Amen. And did you see, not only did they have a, uh, an original ending where she gets with Stathis and they're together, but then there was another ending on top of that where Gina Davis dreams about what her baby is going to be. And it's a full stop motion sequence of this butterfly cocoon opens up and a little cherub baby with butterfly wings comes flying out of it and <laughs> floats into the like outer space. In concept, they thought it would be really beautiful, but you see it in this special uh, yeah, features no, and it is the most hysterical. That, that old platitude, there's no bad ideas is definitely not true. There's plenty of bad ideas. Yeah. Dude, if I pitch that to you, there you wouldn't even humor me to be nice. You would you would, would go to Corey down, and you would be like, I'm really <laughs> reconsidering. Someone wants to do this partner. stop motion yeah. thing with a cherub baby yeah. floating Seriously, out. Seriously, would you not think I was out of my <laughs> yeah, mind? Yeah, like something's happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Also, I just, I had to do a little deep diving on their relationship. They both talk about it with so much love. She says that, that when they were together, it was a magical time in her life. And he says that she made falling in love very easy and that it was a really beautiful relationship and they still like love each other. And I, uh, I, I would suggest everybody go Google pictures of them from this time. Cause let me just show you guys three pictures of these fucking babes. Oh yeah. God. They look incredible. Hot, stylish, cool. Look, are you kidding me? I'm showing you guys. Please Why go look at pictures from the 1980s. Up? How fucking cute are they? And also hot are they? Cronenberg said in the commentary that they were obsessed with each other. That's what they say. They said, and, well, making this movie, it was the most, like, that was the most magical time because they had just fallen in love yeah. and they were both so passionate about this movie and they were, like, so in love with each other. <laughs> he said, though, that they kind of treated each other a little bit more like brother and sister. Like, they, they were just always having fun with each other. He said it felt less sexual and romantic and more just like friends. And Cronenberg said that, um, Gina Davis is an expert mimicker. She can mimic anything. She's really good at impressions and stuff. And he said that because they were so intertwined with each other that she started speaking like Jeff Goldblum. Oh, wow. wow. And that she would sometimes do line deliveries and he would have to come up to her between takes and be like, hey, you're doing it like Jeff. And she'd be like, oh, I need to turn Jeff off and do Gina now. Cute. I'm well, I'm sad. glad to hear that they didn't um, have like no, too, too rocky of a I bad relationship. I don't think so. Well, they're on the cover of GQ together. When they were together? 1989. Couple GQ's. Hotties. Well, we're going to take a one last break and we'll be right back with final thoughts on The Fly. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final thoughts on The Fly. Justin, I'm going to go to you. Hit us with The Fly. How are you feeling about it? And do you plan on doing anything with your nothing DVD or (laughs) Blu-ray? It's pretty straightforward. The movie holds up. It's spooky. It's funny. It's sexy. It has Jeff Goldblum as the lead. You you can't get much uh, more magical than that. And uh, yeah, special effects are incredible. Uh, Underrated horror movie. I don't hear too many people talking about it. I think even the campy stuff is very mild, very subtle. If you like Cronenberg, it might just have the best sort of Hollywood experience of Cronenberg you could ask for. Where does it rank in your Cronenbergs? Um... I would say top five, maybe top three. I haven't given it much thought, but. Mm, What's your number one? I, would, I don't even know what the number one would be. Videodrome, scanners, uh, history of violence, Eastern provinces. Um, I don't really like some of his early work, like Brood and stuff like that. I did like Crash, but I need to watch it again. I don't know. Might might just be number one, number two. Mm-hmm. Cat Crash, the Sandra Bullock movie? No, oh, hell no. Okay. That's not on. Uh, that's not even on my top two hundred. <laughs> <laughs> do you, how do you feel about not owning a physical copy of this anymore? It's weird. I mean, I'm not going to rush out to buy it right now. I'm going to, you know, my house is kind of in in flux with different projects going on. So maybe it's in a box I haven't opened. If Maybe. there's like a big new release on 4K or something, that might be more inspiration to get it. Yeah, it's a bummer that I had it on Blu-ray. Yeah. It's just not going to look that much different on 4K. Sure. But uh, if I had it on DVD or if I had a bootleg copy, I think I definitely would upgrade. Hey, you could bootleg my bootleg. Yeah. So I don't know. I would I would upgrade if I had a DVD. I would buy it if I didn't own it. Yeah. This will be a movie that I probably will continue to watch for a very long time. Yeah. Corey, how about you? I loved it. I, you know, I said this is the first time I feel like I was super paying attention in the movie. And it gave me it gave me kind of everything I, I look for in a in a spooky movie. It gave me romance. Mm-hmm. It gave me jump scares. It gave me creepy body horror, good man bod to look at, beautiful woman face to look at. Yeah, like it. it feels like it hits a lot, checks a lot of your boxes in terms of what you like in movies. So if somebody was to ask you, what are some of your favorite horror movies? Would this make it to the list? Uh, maybe it would now. I think it would now. I wouldn't have thought of it as a horror before until rewatching it. So Really? Well, I just don't think I knew it well enough mm-hmm. that I would have just thought like uh, maybe in my head, I thought it was like science fiction or something, Yeah, which it kind of is as well. Yeah. But. yeah I love the film. It holds up every time I watch it. I think every time I watch it, I... I think, why don't I think about this movie more? Why don't I consider it as good as it is? Because it's great. I think I can definitively say that it is my favorite Cronenberg movie. 
I love a lot of Cronenberg movies, but I think I got to think this one's my my favorite. This would be my number one Cronenberg. It, it has the best like he keeps repeating the same themes, yeah. flesh, body, uh, machine. He has his auteurist style. But I, I feel like it congeals here almost perfectly. I agree. I agree. It's everything that he's about wrapped up in a very kind of mainstream, but like uh, Still challenging, you know what I mean? Like for a mainstream horror movie, this is still pretty challenging stuff. It's it's sad. I was trying to think too, it's like, I, I, I keep wanting to say with all these movies that we watch, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine something like this getting made today, but then I thought of like Malignant. Like I'm surprised yeah, a movie like Malignant true. got made it's and true. that's a like point. a similar sort of mm-hmm. um, thing, although way more intentionally leading into camp uh and just an overall campiness. not as successful yeah but people the people who but have seen malignant are like have you seen malignant for sure yeah well it, it's a it's a conversation worthy film and i appreciate also kind malignant. of like barbarian in a way of like you wouldn't if you just heard yeah. about that movie you wouldn't think necessarily it would get made right and like i said earlier i think i might think that the fly is my favorite horror movie of the 1980s so I love it. I do feel bad that I have this burned version of it. I will eventually upgrade this. You have to, but there's only one way for you to make right. And I will. I, I, get, I can give you that guarantee that's and that how you, That's how you show the listeners that you care. And I that promise right. that I will upgrade this to an official version on Blu-ray, and I'll do it as soon as I can. I'm certainly not going to give this away because I can't be spreading this. Bad. No, 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 that would make it even more of a yeah, crime. It would. Yeah, <laughs> can't give away for free. But I'm so happy that I have it. And yeah. uh, you had the fly. You owned the fly at one point, and it was starting to uh, get digital quality issues on the DVD player. So you said, before this thing deteriorates, yes. I'm going to make a copy just for safety. There you go. And one day when you were taking the disc Mm -hmm. out, it snapped in half and you're like, thank God I still have this digital copy. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. I just saved saved your ass. I'll dub that in Mm -hmm. at the beginning. You describing what my DVD Mm -hmm. is. Uh, Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about The Fly, what do you say we play? Fly games? The Fly Quiz! Oh. Oh, I was just so, so hoping it was a sling blade situation where you were like, there's no quiz and I have a bunch of donuts. Oh man, uh, that would have been a great idea. Mm-hmm. That would have been. Yeah. Question number one. This is not multiple choice, so you just have to know the answer. This band was named after a famous boxer and broke out with a hit song called Fly. Justin Sugar oh. Ray. Let's go. Points that for was Justin. My first concert. I should have known. I'm surprised you didn't make that part of the opening song. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's called Too Obvious. <laughs> and it was more fun to, to emulate Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, your voice sounded really great. It did sound. I think you found I think that's the, the genre yeah. where your voice works. <laughs> sounds the best. the best. I thought the yeah. whole time I was like, wow, his voice it's sounds actually, so you, it pretty. Was like, it, it was hard to laugh because of how soothing. Yes, it was and, really, thanks. really beautiful. Um, yeah. I'm in tune with Petty. Mm-hmm. I got the. I probably have the same petty vocal. Yeah, you kind of look. You kind of got a similar. Hey, maybe I'm vibe. a spawn of petty. Mm-hmm. I think you're a pe- <laughs> petty fly. Maybe petty me and fly. petty got into the same yeah. pod together. Yeah, to work. Question number two: This 1972 exploitation picture starred Ron O'Neill as a drug dealer named Priest and had a hit theme song by Curtis Mayfield. 
don't know any of the names you just said, so Justin's gotta get it. It's not Barfly, is it? You're a fucking drag, you know that? Mm, no clue. I'll give you a hint. It's black exploitation. Superfly? Let's go! That's correct. He's your pusher me. Question number three. Justin has two points. Corey, you have zero. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you paid a little more attention. I am paying attention. I might, didn't know any of those names. You might get this. And you could be cheating, so you should not be allowed to be holding your phone, honestly. These games are serious. Go. Question number three. This popular television series contains a famous episode solely dedicated to a mischievous housefly wreaking havoc inside Justin of a Breaking lab. Bad. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Three points for Justin. Bonus points. Can you name the director? Uh, Justin Ryan, Ryan Johnson. That's correct. Let's go. Justin has four points because wow. he got a bonus point on that one. Question number four. <laughs> this classic jazz standard was made famous by Frank Sinatra in 1964. Fly me to the moon. There you Let's go. Let's go. Corey has one point. Justin has four. Bonus trivia. That song was played on a portable tape player on the Apollo 11 mission just before it landed on the moon. How's that a bonus question? That's bonus trivia. Oh, just for the listeners. It's a little on the nose. Hey, what can you do? Question number five. This 2006 film stars James Franco and concerns a squadron of American fighter pilots in World War One. I. I can like kind of imagine the poster, but fly boys. There you go. Let's oh, go. Yes. Two points. Two to four. Here we go. Question number six. Baxter Stockman is a half-man, half-fly mad scientist and nemesis to what group of Justin, comic book Teenage heroes? Justin, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Justin has Let's five go. points. He's winning the fly These questions quiz. questions are based towards Justin. Teenage Ninja Turtles? Okay, final question. And this one is worth five <laughs> points. Come on. <laughs> There's a fly in the house right now. Really? Around the flowers. Don't tell Henry. Question number seven, final question. This 1954 young adult novel concerns a community of boys named Ralph, Jack, the fla- uh, Simon, uh, Roger, oh my God. Eric, Sam, and Piggy. Uh, the fla- um, Oh, Justin, Lord, Lord of the, the flies. flies. Let's go. I said my name. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have to give that one to Justin. Fuck off. <laughs> Justin wins the times. And that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. That's our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways, community message boards, and so much more. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever the hell you get these things. And Justin, tell the people what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, we'll be talking about the Coen Brothers movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? with a very special guest. Ooh. Oh brother, who could it be? Stay tuned, folks. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. Fly. Buzz, buzz.